When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the lead-up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, there were warnings that Russia might try to employ so-called deepfakes, high-tech manipulated videos, as an information warfare strategy. Sure enough, earlier this month, a deepfake appeared. The video shows Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky speaking into a camera, telling Ukrainian soldiers to lay down their arms and surrender to the Russians, which never actually happened. This was a phony clip meant to fool people into thinking Zelensky had given up the fight. But the funny thing is it was pretty impotent. It it didn't work. It didn't trick anyone. It was detected very quickly and debunked very quickly. Noah John Syracusa is a professor of math and data science at Bentley University and the author of a book about how algorithms can both create and prevent misinformation like deepfakes. He thinks this particular deepfake effort was a little silly because it was easily refuted. Even to the naked eye, it wasn't all that convincing. And right after the video appeared, the real Zelensky made a statement assuring Ukrainians his resolve was strong. And so, in this case, the deepfake was immediately thwarted. For some, the fact that this video was so simple to dismiss suggests that deepfakes aren't yet something we should be worrying much about. For others, this Zelensky video was troubling. It felt like yet another step down a dangerous path, toward a moment when a more effective deepfake will have tragic real-world consequences. But Noah thinks there's something both of these camps are missing. The incident seems to highlight the potential power of a deepfake that it it could be used to dramatic effect if it was convincing enough, if it was deployed in the right way. Are are you worried that a future deepfake video could have some kind of profound, terrible impact on the world? I'm worried, but the point I'd like to raise is we don't just need to look to the future. If we look to the past, there's already been some pretty tricky situations where videos have been out that to this day, we still don't know if, if they were deepfakes or not. There's this kind of idea that, oh, because the Zelensky one was very low quality and we caught it right away, it means all somehow all of deep fake technology is just not there yet. And, you know, as AI develops, one day we won't be able to tell truth from fiction and, and then the problem will really hit us. But I think it's it's more subtle than that because it really depends on the context. It's not just the technological issues. It's not like, oh, deep fakes aren't there yet and in a few years they'll be great and we won't know what's true. It's really how they're used that's so confusing. Today on the show, we keep waiting for the big deepfake moment to arrive, but will we even know it if it does? Or has it just maybe already happened? And what if, stay with me, deepfakes aren't so bad after all? Could they actually be put to use as a force for good, not evil? I'm Seth Stevenson, in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. We'll be back in a moment.
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Let's go back in history a little bit. Um, Using faked images as a dirty trick in politics or in, in conflict situations, it's not actually new, right? It's been happening sort of since the invention of photography. That's right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's some funny old historical examples like um, even Abraham Lincoln has this photo where he looks kind of heroic and masculine. And it turned out that they pasted his face on actually the body of a, a notorious pro-slavery advocate. And the reason they did this, Lincoln had kind of a gangly form and he didn't look very masculine. They wanted to make him look more heroic. At a superficial way, the easiest way to say it is we've had the ability to do that with photos, as you said, since the beginning of photos. And really what deep fake technology, which is based on artificial intelligence and neural networks, really the difference now is we can do that with videos. That realm we live in with Photoshop that, we, that we've that we already been existing in, where we look at a fashion magazine cover and we just assume it's, it's Photoshopped. I mean, in one sense, that's not really okay. I mean, that can have real effects on things like beauty standards to just accept that we're going to let people Photoshop and make fake images like that. Should we let ourselves just become acclimated to this stuff? It is very problematic, right? But the key is who's being harmed, right? If if a deep fake came out about President Biden and it you know influenced American politics, I think there'd be a strong reaction. But if there's a slow erosion, like with, you know, as you said, beauty standards and millions of people's self-esteem starts going through the gutter, it's more of an external cost and it's more distributed. So there's, it's harder to fight back. It's you know, there's sort of a lot of harm spread over a lot of people rather than one singular event. And I'm a little bit worried that that's kind of the situation with deepfakes. We keep waiting for the one singular event. And, you know, we thought maybe the Russian invasion would produce such a thing. And so far it hasn't. But in the same way that we kind of forget that fake altered photographs have been in politics and conflict forever, it seems like we keep talking about the horizon of how some deepfake video is going to eventually cause a catastrophe. We're like, we're waiting for some big destabilizing moment. But in fact, haven't we already seen incidents around the world where the existence of deepfakes can have dramatic consequences? You're right that we keep waiting for like, where's the big moment when a deepfake fools us all? Well, part of the answer is if it fooled us all, we wouldn't know it was a deepfake. That's part of the challenge. It's not like we're going to all be fooled and then a week later someone says, haha, got you, it was a trick. The good deepfakes might still be out there. For instance, the African nation of Gabon, the president Ali Bongo in late 2018 suffered a stroke, disappeared from public eye, and his government said, oh, you know, he has the stroke, he's recovering. 
But if you look at their constitution, there's a time limit. I forget if it's four or six weeks. If the president's unfit to lead for this period of time, they have to have a snap election, which means the government could lose power. And people kept saying, where is he? So the government released this on social media, a, a recorded message, it was about two minutes, of the president speaking on, on New Year's, uh, January 1st, 2019. And he you know, gives his New Year's address. But it looks very odd. Gabonese, Gabonese. I want to show us, in the video, President Ali Bongo sits at a table and speaks directly into the camera. But he looks different than he had in previous appearances. His movements are slightly unnatural. Parts of his face seem frozen. His skin is weirdly smooth and unfurrowed. Right away, people start to say, hey, this is strange. And actually, uh, one of his political opponents, the guy who ran unsuccessfully against him in the previous two elections, he actually said, I think this is a deep fake. And the theory caught on. And the government didn't really directly address it. They, they didn't bring the president down in public, but they also didn't really have any evidence that it wasn't a deep fake. So we didn't know what's going on, and the military there attempted a coup. Chers compatriotes, le message à la nation du chef de l'État, Ali Bongo Ondimba. The coup began within about a week of the video's release. The soldiers who launched the coup, bolstered by the deepfake theory, said they believed the president was actually incapacitated, and that no one was in control of the country. Un malade dépourvu de plusieurs de ses facultés physiques et mentales. The coup was foiled within a day. The president subsequently made public appearances. But he looked frail and unhealthy. Two years later, the incident remains murky. We still don't know exactly what happened. Here's two possible histories that could have happened. One was he really was incapacitated. He was unfit to lead. Legally, there should have been an election. He could have lost power. And the government deceived the population by using this deepfake. And they basically held office by using successfully using a deepfake that to this day we you know, we haven't really caught. Here's the other possible history. He had a stroke. You know, it can cause partial muscle paralysis. It can affect the way your face looks. It can affect your speech patterns. It can affect your blinking rate. So another very plausible history is that it's not a deep fake. He had a stroke. He was speaking the best he could, and it took him many months to recover and eventually did. We don't know what the reality is. Some auditors who've run the video of the president through software analysis say they have a high degree of confidence it wasn't fake. But one of the problems here is that, in some ways, it doesn't matter if it was fake or not. The proliferation of deepfakes throws every video into doubt, because any video can at this point be semi-plausibly accused of being a deepfake. That's terrifying, right, that a politician can be caught having an affair or, you know, doing some corrupt thing, and they can just say, no, that's not me, that was deepfaked. How can we ever prove that they're wrong? Just on the technical level, when it, when it comes to fighting deepfakes, the, the first thing is the struggle to identify them. How, so how good are they? Are they, at this point, able to trick even people using high-tech approaches to identifying them, or are they not quite there yet? Well, it's, that's a very delicate question because it's an arms race. The methods that are used to generate these are the same methods that are used to detect these. So as the algorithms get better at detecting, they also get better at generating um, sometimes there are some competitions like Facebook and some other organizations collected a whole bunch of deep fakes and a whole bunch of authentic videos. And they said, all right, let's have a public data competition. And people come with algorithms and they, they see how, you know, what percentage you can identify correctly. And I forget the winners at the time. This is maybe a year or two ago, got something like 80%. So that's great, right? You're, you're doing much better than random guessing. 
but it also means any one particular video, you don't have a heck of a lot of confidence that the algorithm did it correctly. In other words, it'll catch a lot, but there'll be a lot of false positives and a lot of false negatives. It's not up to the level where we can you know, fully trust what the algorithm says. So there's the technological arms race when it comes to fighting these. What about regulatory or policy approaches to fighting deep fakes? Are there laws that govern the use of deep fakes? Are there people working on regulations that would help prevent some kind of deep fake disaster from happening? It's happened at a, a local level. So California has, has something that's very limited. So it's something like six weeks prior to an election, if a deep fake is used in a deceptive manner and there's not a disclaimer, that's illegal. There has been progress outside of political realms, like uh, not use of deepfakes to make non-consensual pornography. That's just sort of so blatantly horrendous that it's a little bit easier to regulate it. But in the kind of political realm, it is a form of speech and it's, it's difficult. There's also the issue of provenance, right? Some hackers uploaded the Zelensky video to a Ukrainian newspaper. So what are you going to charge the Ukrainian newspaper? It's not their fault. The people who shared it on social media, they don't know. It's not their fault. So who at the end of the day is going to suffer from, even if you created these laws, who's going to be held responsible? When we come back, are there use cases for political deepfakes that aren't objectionable or maybe even desirable? Hey everybody, it's Neil I. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. In the recent presidential election in South Korea, one of the major candidates had a deepfake version of himself. The deepfake would appear in videos making jokes and speaking to voters. This was fully authorized by the candidate. Everything his deepfake alter ego said was carefully scripted by his communications team. 
One Wall Street Journal story suggested the deepfake was actually wittier and more likable than the real thing. And perhaps ominously, this deepfake augmented candidate won. He's now the president-elect of South Korea. Should every candidate create a deepfake doppelganger? Or is this a worrisome trend that we should try to nip in the bud? That's a really interesting middle ground of, of an ethical debate of where's the line of when this is acceptable. And in my opinion, you know, it's, it's very dangerous to kind of oversimplify. But at the end of the day, for me, the line really is deception. The South Korean example you mentioned is interesting. It reminds me a few years earlier, there was a probably one of the first uses of deepfakes in politics that anyone noticed, which happened in India. A candidate was campaigning and he spoke one language and he wanted to reach people who spoke other Indian languages and they defaked him. So his, his campaign team, they had him record a message and then they sort of used deepfakes to kind of lip sync him to make it look like he was his speaking those other languages. And you could say one argument is they're trying to deceive and trick people to make it seem like he appeals to more people than he does. Or you could say he's trying to connect to more people. You know, how's that different than subtitling? The examples of politicians using deepfake versions of themselves to shape their image. So this raises a possibility for me. And you're at a college. I want you to get a little bit sophomore dorm room <laughs> with me here for a second. What if there was a a real person, but they just never left their house, never went on the campaign trail, never changed out of their pajamas, and they just campaigned like as a deepfake, like, where everything was perfectly scripted because their team could control it and you know, they would never sort of like sweat or have any of the problems that a real person would have. Is that, I don't know, is that okay? Could we handle that? Is that, I well, don't know. If this was someone pulling a prank and tricking us, I'm not okay with that. But if someone were open and honest, let's say they had an, an autoimmune condition and it's during a pandemic and it's literally not safe for them to go out. Why should we only have people who have, you know, robust immune systems able to campaign? That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. And we might be listening, missing out on, you know, really wonderful politicians. So, and, you know, it depends on the context, but I would say there definitely are situations where what you described, you know, some people could have mobility issues. This could help them um, travel further. So I think there's situations where it absolutely would be more than right. It would be equalizing. All right, let, let me lead you further down this primrose path. Now, <laughs> what if they win? Could you have... Deep fake governance? Could you? I mean, we're, now you have like a, a committee of people behind the curtain and you've got the deep fake president out in front. I mean, how often do you really see Joe Biden in the flesh? Like, I, could you have a, a, a deep fake president? Well, again, here's another really silly but maybe helpful example. A lot of politicians don't write their own speeches, right? They have speech writers. So someone who's part of the team has put these words together and they're a mouthpiece for it. Does it really make so much of a difference if that mouthpiece is the human manifestation, you know, if that's Joe Biden or if it's an animation, to me, what matters is the content and the ability to connect to the voters. You could say, oh, a deep fake is somehow less human, right? It's like having a hologram president. So, okay, it's, it's less authentic, but it could be more personalized. Politicians in many ways are kind of figureheads, right? They all have staffers. They have teams. Congress people are not writing all these laws themselves. They have staffers do this. So they already are kind of the deep fake representation of their staff. It's not a deep fake, but, you know, they're channeling that information and presenting to the public. So the next iteration where a computer algorithm does this, I don't think it's as far-fetched as it seems at first. And I don't think it's as morally wrong as it seems at first. If it's done in a not terribly deceptive way, 
I wouldn't be surprised if that's where we're heading. And I'm, I'm not too alarmed by that. Well, along those lines, going back to the Zelensky video, the FBI warned in advance that Russia would employ deepfakes as part of its information warfare strategy. So it seems like the video made those concerns look prescient. Is this just something we should always expect now and be ready for, even if it's something we wish would go away? One reassuring thing I think we're already seeing with this invasion is people are already much more on the lookout than we were a few years ago as far as this general idea of misinformation and disinformation. It's it's in our, our public conversations, it's in the news, you know, especially with things like Francis Haugen, the Facebook whistleblower, and all these political hearings. As a society hearing that these issues of mis and dif- disinformation are out there, that I think we're kind of primed to be to be extra vigilant. Not everyone, and it doesn't mean we'll be right all the time. But I think people in general are more on guard, and I think this has played a a large role. And I think it's best to not think of deepfakes as its own separate entity, like, okay, we have to figure out how to address this. It's better to think of it as part of a larger story of we're swamped with information and misinformation, and it's become increasingly challenging to discern the two. And deepfakes are just kind of one more layer to that complex onion of information and misinformation. We're not going to solve deepfakes and we're not going to be destroyed by deepfakes. But whatever challenges we're facing before are definitely going to be a little bit harder and we're going to have to be a little bit more vigilant. But I think we are taking steps in those directions. Noah John Syracusa, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Noah John Syracusa is a professor of math and data science at Bentley University. That's it for the show today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. We're edited by Tori Bosch. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. We'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Seth Stevenson. Thanks for listening. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money.